0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Cool. Hey, today's a special day. Uh, Personally, for me, uh, today's my wife's birthday, and my mom is here in the service today, here today, too. So um, I just want to say I'm glad that that I can be with you guys. Last week, I was on a father-son campout retreat, and I had an awesome time over at Sheep's Bridge, way far off in Nowhereville. Um, a lot of fun. Um, but it, te- it tested a little bit about kind of like uh, just my, my limits of love. Today I'm talking about, you know, whatever is lovely. And I found myself um, so- find myself sometimes a little skeptical uh, with people because I just don't know where they're coming from and all that. It's Memorial Day weekend. So there's a lot of people out there drinking, doing their thing. And so I'm out there and we're driving down the dirt road and Uh, this person breaks off or they, they, they're driving a BMW on 40 miles of dirt road. Okay. Not a good idea. So 40 miles of dirt road. I've got an off-road vehicle. BMW's pulled over to the side. We, my son and I had done this big camp out for the whole weekend, had an awesome time. We get in the truck, we're driving back and this family sitting there, a husband and a wife, and, uh, they're flagging us down. And, um, I would like to say, you know, I, my immediate thought is I want to make sure this is a valid, you know, issue that we have here, you know? So my son's with me, so I'm hyper protective, you know? And so, and I'm a hunter, so I have guns in the car. And uh, so I pull over. As soon as I said guns, everybody looked up. (laughs) So, uh, so, you know, uh, so I'm driving down the road and they're waving their arms and it's like the end of the weekend. They're like, hell, pull over. Pull over. And so um, my son's like, dad, dad, do we, those are strangers. Do we help them? Do we help them? I said, yeah, we help them. And I like pull up my, you know, sidearm and put it right there. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just be safe. Just be safe. He said, okay. So we pull over and the guy's like, oh, I, you know, I've got a, I'm like, why do you have a BMW? First of all, I couldn't see the tire busted. So I'm like, is it a joke? Like who drives a Beamer out here, you know? So that's why I was like trying to add it all up. Is this a legitimate crisis? So I, I kind of come in. And I look and I'm like, oh yeah, the tire is shredded. That is not good. And he's like, I don't have a lug wrench. I don't have, so long story short, get the guy in my truck, get, get his wife in my truck. We unload our entire cab, put everything on the back. I mean, we look like the Beverly Hillbillies cruising through there. Pat the back of the truck's loaded up. Got these total strangers in the back of my vehicle. It's not the first time I've done that kind of thing. And we're loaded up and we're like taking them to Central Phoenix because that Beamer's not getting out of there. So I, I get in and they, I say, they say, hey, let us repay the favor. And I said, where do you like to go to lunch? I'm like, El Encanto is good. And so we go to El Encanto, have some Mexican food. And I'm like, well, this is fun. Never been to lunch with total strangers before. My son's like having dialogue and we're talking. And all of a sudden she says, you know, it's really interesting that you, uh, you trusted us so easy. I was like, eh, there's no problem. I got a lot of guns. <laughs> and she literally said, yeah, I know. That's what kind of freaked us out. <laughs> Uh, The funny thing is, is that it's hard to be loving, and what I want to talk to you about today is being loving. And, uh, you know, here here we go, jump in, Philippians 4, 8, the Apostle Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is, let's say it together, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I don't think about loving people all the time, but I would say this, when I became a Christian, I was converted, literally, like transformation, and love began to pour into my life. And now I can begin, as a new believer, begin to think about love a lot more. The Apostle Paul says that we've gotta think about lovely things. That totally sounds feminine to me, okay? Like, I don't like that idea, think about whatever's lovely. I think about potpourri and spray, pssh, pssh, pssh. Have Paul, are you like, what are you? Are you a soft male or what's going on here? But, you know, this idea of lovely in, in the original language means something that actually the Aussies, the Australians like to use. In different parts of the world, we'll find words that people use that we don't use. In Australia, they'll use the word very generously to describe somebody that is pleasing or winsome or agreeable. They're just good people. Ah, oh, he's lovely. Now, you can't do an Aussie voice, but imagine Steve Irwin doing the Aussie thing, saying lovely. And here's what you get: you get the Apostle Paul telling us that we've got to think about whatever is lovely. And we've been walking through this series, transformational thinking. And so two of the largest reservoirs of love, I would propose to you. The first one is God's love. God's love is an endless reservoir. And if we are gonna think about lovely things then we need to think about God as the source of love. God's love is an endless reservoir. Uh, In Arizona, we have two big reservoirs. What are they? Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Those are the two largest reservoirs that we've got. Actually, those are the two largest reservoirs in the country. Those are huge mammoth reservoirs lake mead serves arizona california uh, nevada and even northern part of mexico 20 million plus people are serviced by these reservoirs god's reservoir is never going to dry up that's always the talk and the discussion about in arizona california you know they're on a water drought you know you see people's yards are totally dry because they're on a they're, they're kind of like a drought freeze or whatever Listen, God is the source of love and his reservoir never goes dry. Man's reservoir, however, man's love is limited. Just take a brief trip down memory lane and you can see even in my own life, love, love it, my love is limited. I'm untrusting at times to people I don't know. Uh, you might get in a bad mood and my love doesn't come out. I don't spend time with the Lord enough and there's not a whole lot of love flowing out. My seminary professor back in Dallas Seminary used to say, you cannot impart that which you do not possess. Let me say that again. You cannot impart to somebody something that you do not possess. If you don't have love coming into your life, you got very little love to give anybody else. So God's love, God's love, let's look at the source of love, and then we're going to talk about what does it practically mean to think about lovely things, and I'm going to get to you, and talk about you for a minute, and talk about me. But God's love, the Apostle John says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is what? From who? Let's say that again, love is from who? God. All love is from God. The greatest reservoir of love in our world is in God. But the second one is in us. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is love. He loved people. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you what? Love. So let's think about love just for a moment. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth to describe love. Let's read it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My friend, Pastor Craig here on staff, helped me to see that passage. And he says, Ryan, what if you looked at it like as a description of who God is? God is patient. God is kind. You think about the character and the nature of God, friends, the greatest source of love is God himself. He is the author of love. You cannot love people. You can't think about lovely things unless you're immersed in the deep reservoir of God's love in your own life. For God so loved the world. Romans 5.5 tells us that Love's being poured out into our lives as believers. Look what it says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's good news to me. Sometimes I don't feel like loving people very well. I can fall short and feel agitated, irritated, and frustrated about people in my life. And then I can do something like this and go, Lord, will you bring more of your love into my life? Will you help me to love that person? Some people are hard to love. That's why Jesus made love kind of the biggest deal. That's why he said it's the greatest commandment. You love God and you love who? Your neighbor. But there's one more person you gotta love, yourself. Let's look at the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, 36 through 38, they asked Jesus and they call him teacher. Let's look at Matthew 22, 36 through 38. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The greatest commandment in all the scripture is to love God. We have a obligation to love God. He created us to love him. Why? Well, when we love him, Then he fills us up, according to Romans, and then we're able to love others with that same kind of love. Look what it says the second commandment is. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Friends, if we're gonna think about lovely things, we've gotta go to core passages to understand what love looks like. We got a description in Corinthians and we see that woven into the character and the nature of God. We understand now that love is really from God, that he has an endless reservoir for us and man has a limited reservoir. We understand now that the Holy Spirit pours out love into your life. Some of you, you are good receptors or receivers of God's love and you can receive God's love and it overflows into your life and it overflows into everybody else's life and people just wanna be around you. There's actually scientific data now. If you wanna get a book, it's called Heart Math. And what it means is that people that are joyful, excited, many Christians experience this, they send out these electromagnetic waves through their heart People are magnetized towards these people. These are the people that you say, I just like being around that guy. I just like being around that girl. When that person walks into the room, they make it better. There's no coincidence there. When God says that he wants to fill up your heart with love, he literally means he wants to supernaturally do this work in here that you have this love flowing out of you that you can give to everybody else love is everything. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some of your neighbors are hard to love. Some of your neighbors are easy to love. But here's something that I bet you haven't thought about. Look what it says. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, I want to talk to you about loving yourself today for the rest of our time. You say, why? Well, because when you leave here and you get in the truck or get in the car, you're going to be with yourself. When you go to bed, you're gonna be there with yourself tonight. When you wake up, you gotta face yourself. Then you're gonna take a break from work and once you're at work, you're gonna be with yourself at work. Then when you get out of work and you say, I need a vacation, guess who's there? Yourself. You can't get away from yourself. Why would the gospel writers include this statement? You shall love your neighbor implied as yourself, you take care of yourself. Should we take care of ourselves? Yes. You know what was going on? There was a Gnostic form of false teaching that basically was going on, and the Bible's gonna defeat this idea of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this secret knowledge that supposedly every person had a material body and a spiritual body. And the spiritual was the value, the physical was of no value. The material was not good, but the immaterial was good. And what we're going to learn in Scripture, that to love oneself is to understand that God wants our whole being, the holistic, to love God, to love neighbor, implied love yourself. Now, I understand as soon as I start talking about loving yourself, you can think, oh, are we drifting into selfism, consumerism, self-centeredism? No, that's not where I want to go with this. But what I am saying is you can be on the opposite extreme where you don't love yourself. And we talk about transformational thinking. You hate yourself. You look in the mirror and you're disappointed with yourself. You call yourself a failure. You say you're unforgivable. You say these things that devalue and diminish not only your dignity, but I would dare to say you are poorly representing our High King of Heaven who did everything to come for you and to create you in His image. And you and me, when we walk out of this church, whether we got a logo on our shirt that says North Valley or we got a sticker on our car, we do represent the high king of heaven. And we are created with dignity, value, and worth. The Bible tells us that we're to love ourselves. Why? Because there's a biblical foundation that we are created in his image. Genesis 1, says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means that there are moral attributes that we share. So when I love, when I'm patient, that's showing the love of God. When you're caring and when you're kind to your neighbor, when you're caring and you're kind and you're loving and you're patient to your friends, to your family, you're, sh- you're being an image bearer of your creator, when you see a non-Christian even doing those things, they are reflecting moral attributes. That's what does it means to be created in the image of God. We do not share in the divine attributes. Divine attributes, these are things that we do not share with God. God is omnipotent. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. We're not all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. We're not all everywhere all at once but we can share in this image. So what does it mean to love oneself biblically? Number one, I would say spiritually you need to know who you are. You matter to God. You're loved by God. You're made in God's image. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't Think about lovely things if our mind is distracted and we are not sourced in God's love. We don't have understanding of God's love. We can't think about lovely things unless it's coming from a good place. Some of you are not in a good place because you don't have peace with yourself. You don't even love yourself. I would argue that the Bible advocates that you do need to care and love for yourself. Spiritually, first, you need to know who you are. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 3, He writes to the church in Ephesus is probably, perhaps, one of the best identity chapters of who we are in Christ as Christians. If you're struggling with knowing, having security in your identity, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at this. I'm going to highlight to you a number of positional statements of who you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Number one, that means that you and I are blessed. Do you count your blessings? Could you wake up every single day and say, today, Lord, there's blessings you've given me? The Bible says every spiritual blessing. You've got access to all sorts of blessings. What are those? The Apostle Paul helps us. He helps tell us what those are. He says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Paul puts that in there. In love, he did that. What does that mean? It means that you and I as believers were chosen. You say, wait a second, I thought I chose him. Well, he chose you and then you chose him. Because he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. I don't think you were there before the foundations of the world. What does it mean to be chosen? It means to be called, selected, to be called out for oneself. Uh, Not too long ago, we were playing volleyball over there at the volleyball court. And I hate to say, I'm usually not picked first. Okay? I don't know why. I mean, I've got good arms, you know. I I could jump a little bit, you know, but they don't want to pick me first. So I'm sitting there. We're all lined up. You know how you do it on sports teams. Oh, who wants to be the captain? You go over there. You go over there. Okay, you're the captain. Who do you put as the captain? You always put the best players. So you always get the best players, and then the losers sit back here, you know. So... I'm sitting here waiting on my line and sure enough, everybody picks and I'm sitting down there, it's slim pickings. It's just like Pastor Ryan and like a four-year-old. And I'm like, and they're like, we'll take the four-year-old. I'm like, yeah. Um, God's not like that. Bible says is you don't you need to think when about God's love is he loves this conglomerate group of people. Like, oh, people of the world. He thinks like John. Sarah, Bill, Ted, Bill and Ted's excellent adventurer. Just joking. Okay, I lost half of you. But he thinks individually, uniquely about you. He doesn't love a a mass of people. He loves individually. How does he do that? He's omnipotent, omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's not like us. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts. He chose you. You're chosen. You're special to God. How do I think about lovely things? I need to, number one, I just need to know who I am in Christ. Man, Lord, today, thanks for choosing me to use me and my family. Thanks, God, for using me at my church. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a job. You you chose me. You called me out. Lord, thank you for giving me eternal salvation. Lord, thank you for giving me forgiveness. Thank you for giving me grace. I'll take that. I need that. I'm chosen. You're not left out. You're not the last picking. You were chosen before the foundations of the world. Find your confidence in the clarity of who God's called you to be. Continuing on, the Apostle Paul says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. You and I got a responsibility. We shine out God's glorious grace everywhere we go. We ought to be the most gracious, most forgiving, loving people. What do we do that for? We don't do it to work for acceptance. We do it because we're standing in acceptance and we can extend that love out. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. What does that mean? He says, it means you and I are predestined as believers. We are adopted. We got a family and we have a purpose. That word predestined means decided ahead of time. It's not like it was a last-minute call. Oh, I guess we'll take him. No, it means that God's thought. Transformational thinking. What about God? Think about his thinking. He thought of you. That's mind-blowing. Secondly, I'd encourage you, if you're going to love yourself, you not only need to spiritually know who you are, you need to physically develop healthy habits. You say to me, What are you talking about? Go to the gym? Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Go to the gym. What are you talking about? Get on a diet? Maybe so. What are you talking about? you talking about getting some good sleep? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You say to me, wait a second. That doesn't sound spiritual. It sounds physical. Good. Because what the first century apologist writers and disciples were combating was a heresy called Gnosticism. In the church, it's moved through Christian circles as well, somehow downplaying the physical body and uplifting the soul and saying, they're not connected, they're separated. No, let me tell you something, friends, everything's connected. Our body, our soul, our mind. That's why in the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's physical, there's spiritual meanings there. What about the Apostle Paul? What does he say? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your what? Your bodies. That's a physical word. That means your physical, material body. Why is that? Because he goes on to tell you that you are God's temple. Everything about your physical being is important. Your mind, your body, your, the members of your body, your heart, it's all connected. And that we're to present this as a spiritual act of worship. You know, they've done research right now. I was at a, a, a symposium down at Phoenix Seminary. Uh, Dr. Darrell Del Husay, uh hosted it. A number of other uh, Christian psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, authors, writers, speakers, all that, blah, blah, blah. It was good. And some of the guys were totally way over my head but I paid attention when one of the psychiatrists started talking about fried chicken. I'm like, what did he say? He's talking about Kentucky fried chicken. He said that Kentucky fried chicken, he said that, that the food that we eat, now there's a science out there. When you're eating like fried food, there's direct links and studies to how much fried food you eat to depression. I'm like, what? I'm happy. Does he know what I eat like? Because when I eat fried chicken, I get happy. (laughs) But the reality is, is that science is telling us that your body matters and that what you put into your body affects your emotion, your mind, and and your, your whole being. I'm not saying you can't eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm just telling you what research is saying. And I am telling you what the Apostle Paul says, that this idea of body, he didn't say present your soul as a living sacrifice. He didn't say present your heart as a living sacrifice. He says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, to which is your spiritual act of worship. Some of you need to make a, treat your body better by doing this. I'm gonna give my body rest today. I'm not sleeping a whole lot. I'm on like four hours of sleep every night. so I have to wake up and slam some Red Bulls and drink a lot of coffee all day long. And I'm like drinking coffee to 2 p.m. and I'm just getting going and then you get home and then you do stuff that's not healthy for your body. You feed it all sorts of things that are gonna hurt you and then you have ulcers and then you have pain and then your body's saying like, take a break. Why, from a practical standpoint, would it be good for you to take better care of your body? I think at least you could say to yourself, well, maybe I'll give myself five to 10 more years of healthy living to love my family, to serve my community, to serve in my church, just by taking better care of myself. You can neglect the body. People that do this, they fall into categories, I would say, of Gnosticism, where they value spiritual things, but don't value physical things. They value the immaterial, but they don't value the material. So then you have some camps of Christianity that say, oh, well, don't take medication. Oh, well, don't do this. Don't pay attention to that. Or they see anxiety as things that are something that are demonically influenced or depression, and they they over-spiritualize things that don't need to be over-spiritualized. And then people silently suffer in the shadows. I remember years ago, um, two stories. One was I struggled with a serious bout of anxiety. Have my whole life. People in my family have struggled with anxiety. It's something physically in me. My my blood pressure will increase. I got to slow down. I'm always amped up. I shouldn't be drinking Red Bull. I cut that out a long time ago. But I remember Dallas Seminary one night, I had a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it feels like somebody's taking a knife and pushing it into him. I woke up in the middle of the night and screamed out, told my wife, call 911. She's like, I think you're having a panic attack. I'm like, oh, okay. So she held my hand and prayed with me and we sat there and worked through that. What needed to change? I need to take better care of my body. I need to get better sleep. I need to eat right. I need to start doing the things. Was I praying? I was praying all the time. Was I reading the Bible? I was reading all the time. I was walking a holy life. I just was neglecting the body. What about depression? Years ago, when we were in a kind of a stagnant point at North Valley, I was upset. I was really frustrated because I had big dreams. This is the first church I've ever planted. And I wanted things to move a lot faster than they did. We were at Barry Goldwater High School Um, We changed the name of the church. It was a Mago Day Community Church. Great name, but everybody butchers it because it's Latin. So nobody speaks Latin. So we just said, we'll call it North Valley. Uh, We adopted a little girl. My dog bit my little girl, thought we were going to get in a lawsuit. Had several um, people in my life that I loved died. Um, I was going through a hard time. The church wasn't moving forward. I found myself like this. Okay. I'm always, for the most part, upbeat guy. But I found myself like this. I was in bed and I told Leslie, I don't want to get up today. She said, come on, Ryan. I said, no, I don't feel like going to work. I don't really have a drive anymore. Well, come on. Nah. Next day. Hey, sweetie, get up. I don't want to. I don't feel good. What's wrong? I don't know. Just don't feel me. I was scared to death because I thought to myself, what's wrong with me? Uh, I wasn't suicidal, thank God. But, you know, that's a very normal response when you get into a funk like that. I was depressed. She said, call your pastor buddies out of state if that'll make you feel better. So I call him, tell him what's going on. He said, sign, you're depressed. I'm like, man, I'm not depressed, I'm a pastor. He's like, yeah, most pastors get depressed. You know Charles Spurgeon, your hero? He was depressed all the time. And he loved fried chicken. And I'm like, (laughs) so I found out I was in good company. Let me just read to you about these guys. You got David was depressed. Moses was depressed. Elijah was depressed. Jeremiah was depressed. Depression's a real deal. So I went and got help. It changed my life. It changed the way I view people. I thought depression was something for the weak. And I realized that something had happened. I had had neurologically and chemically depleted all the adrenal glands in my body from going on a high pace for way too long. And the doctor said, you need some medication to get you going. Or you can stay in your funk for about nine months, just move all the guns out of the house. I was like, I'm keeping my guns. So... What do we do? Number two, I want to challenge you. Mentally care for your mind. The Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Man, you need the best mind you got. You can't be conformed to the world. The world will suck the life out of you. But he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I really don't think my mind could renew much more until I took special attention to it. Saw a psychiatrist. I was filling it with Bible. I was filling it with prayer. I was seeking counseling. The apostle Paul talks about renewing the mind. He says that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, why, why does he emphasize the mind so much? In Ephesians, he mentions the mind, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, all throughout the epistle. Philippians, he does the same thing. In Romans, he emphasizes it. In fact, one scholar, D.A. Carson, professor of the New Testament, said this about this passage. He says, the essence of successful Christian living is the renewing of our minds so that we might be able to approve what God's will is. That is to recognize and put it into practice, God's will for every situation we face. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest asset that you have is your mind. The greatest asset in Christianity is the mind. Take care of your mind. Mentally care for your mind. How do you renew your mind? I taught this in week one of the series. You realize the problem. You realize that you say to me, well, what if I have a mental illness? Well, ultimately, the Bible says that we were created with perfect harmony with God, with each other. Everything was great. But then sin entered the world after the rebellion and sin has uh, infected everything, even the mind, even the heart, even the body, everything. So when you get sad because somebody's dying, the reason why you're getting sad is because they weren't supposed to die. The reason why they weren't supposed to die is because that's not how God created it. But when sin entered the world, it screwed everything up. The mind, the heart, the body, the thorns in the desert, Everything has been frustrated, the Bible says, when sin entered the world. Realize the problem if you're going to renew the mind. You need help. Number two, you rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will pour love into your life. You can't think about lovely things unless you ask God to fill you with love in your life more and more. Number three, you fill your mind with things that are good and godly and great. Number four, you filter your mind. I spent 30-something minutes teaching on this, so go back and review your notes. Number five, you focus your mind. What is good? What is great? That's why the Apostle Paul, here he is in prison in Rome, and he's telling people, giving them an encouraging little note to the church in Philippi. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, like how does he say that? If I was him, I'd be like, I'm in terrible trouble. This place is lame. I'm chained up. You guys need to get here quicker. I've been working my butt off for you. Come on. Why? He's transformed all the time. Put these things into practice. What if you're depressed? What if you've been labeled clinically depressed? What if you feel like you're in a depression? What is a depression? A depression is where you have this negative state of mind for a period of two to three weeks at a time. And then it goes further and further sometimes. And then you get into the stinking thinking thing. You can't pull out. And literally what happens is, from a neuroscience level, is there's these things called neuroplasticity. You have these channels in your brain. Believe me, that wasn't like a cool hair move, I just did But you have these channels in your brain And when you get in a depression, they're like canals in which all the thoughts in the process through your mind, uh, you have 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. They're firing faster than the speed of light right now. They're just boom, moving through your body from here. But when you get into a depression, those, those little canals, I'll call them, in the brain, they get deeper and deeper and the more negative thoughts get deeper and deeper and you get into big, big trouble. That's why when I talk to people and they say, I'm depressed, I say, are you suicidal? And if they say to me, yes, I say, give me your guns because I like guns. No, I say, I say, we stop. So what do you do? If you're depressed, you educate yourself. If you're depressed, you need to realize you're not alone. I read to you a huge list of guys, David, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Charles Haddon, Spurgeon, and the list goes on and on and on. Realize you're not alone. And number three, you get medical help. Listen, if you are depressed or you're going through a depression, you since you are, but you haven't been labeled, I want to tell you one thing right now. Listen to me, that God loves you. God loves you tremendously. This church loves you. And you're going to be okay if you get help. But you need to take some steps forward. You need to dismiss the whole Gnostic idea that you have to separate the spiritual and the material and get on with the holy spiritual side. No, the Apostle Paul says, your whole body is a living sacrifice. Pay attention to your body, because it's all connected. You get medical help, and a quick case for medication, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine, for the sake of your stomach, and your frequent ailments. Is it okay to use medication? Absolutely. Additionally, in James, when people in the church are sick, we see that they call for the elders. Look what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone uh, cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That oil is the same kind of medical ointment, medication ointment that was used in the story of the, uh, the, the Good Samaritan, you use medication. God ordained it, planned it, purposed it to put doctors into our life, physicians into our life. Christian or non-Christian, they are serving the world and Christians all around with God's common grace because every man, every woman, every child is made in the image of God. And so God chooses, and he can, he could use a Hindu, Christ, or Hindu psychiatrist to assist you in your depression or mental illness. And you should see it as a holy missionary sending where you get to be a representative of Jesus Christ to a Hindu psychiatrist. You cannot say, oh, You are not spiritual. You do not have the authority to prescribe to help me. No, no, no. That guy's smarter than you are. Okay? Studied a lot. And God in his common grace can use anybody to accomplish his plans and purpose. My encouragement to you from a pastor's heart is to care for you and go, listen, take care of yourself. You can't think about lovely things unless, number one, you know the source of love. And then two, you know how to love yourself. You can't love your neighbor very well if you hate yourself. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do love us far beyond we deserve. Thank you that you are a good God, very, very helpful, very real. We see the simplicity of Scripture. We pray that, pray that we would apply it. And Lord, for anyone in the room today say, I don't know if I've ever experienced God's love before, may they even now just say, Lord, today's the day I want to give my life to you. I trust that you will take me, forgive me, adopt me into your family, and I want to be yours. For all of us, Lord, that may be suffering from discouragement, depression, or a mental illness, I pray, God, that we would seek you in prayer, reading of God's Word, Christian counsel, and medication as needed. And Lord, allow you, the great, good, good Father, to minister to us through your design purposes. We love you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.